0: Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: We've gotten a little trickle of Theros Beyond Death spoilers, but they're not really going to begin in earnest until next week. So this is going to be our last non-spoiler episode of 2019, and we thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about the highlights of 2019, both for Commander and for Commander Theory. And we also wanted to open it up for our followers to ask us questions, so we've got an extra long mailbag segment today. But before we jump into today's topics, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon page. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. With that, let's jump into the year in review. So we're going to be talking about the best commander of 2019, the best card of 2019, and the best product for commander in 2019. Let's get into the most popular commanders from 2019. I don't think that the best commander is necessarily the most popular commander. It's definitely true. (laughs) But I think it's a good place to start is just by walking through the commanders that have really struck a chord with the community. So the number one commander released in 2019 is Golos with 1,764 decks. Golos, if you're not familiar with him, is five mana artifact creature, three, five. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a land, put it on the battlefield tapped, and then you can pay two Wooburg to exile the top three cards of your library and cast them for free. I think Golos really just enabled people to do something they really wanted to do, which was play lands as their commander, because you'll see it every game. And so there's like a lot of um, Maze's End lists, some other utility lands got a lot of love. But in, in my view, I don't think that's the best commander of 2019.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, too.
0: I think that because so much of what it actually cares about is just in your mana base, the main deck cards tend to just be good stuff.
1: Yeah. It, it really does kind of end up looking just like the best cards. cards in each
0: color. Yeah. Trailing just behind Golos with 1762 decks is Tesa Karlov, and there's a, a lot of things going on here. Tesa is an extremely popular character from like a, a flavor standpoint. Yeah. And then Death Triggers, there's a lot to do with that. And these colors in particular, because you've got access to your Grave Pact effects, for example. So she's extremely popular. Feather, the Redeemed, is coming in at 1,658 decks, giving Boros one of its very few non-attacky commanders.
1: Th- that one actually does not surprise me at all, mm-hmm. the-, the fact that this was so popular.
0: Uh, there's also Yarek, the Desecrated, with 1,508 decks, uh, giving doubling up on ETB triggers, giving you access to a very good color identity. Kaikar, which is a similar playstyle to Tal Rand, but gives you access to more colors, gives you a sacrifice outlet for the tokens that he generates. He's coming in at 1,348 decks. Next is Korvold, the Cursed King. It's a Jund sacrifice deck with a commander who becomes huge very quickly and can easily threaten Voltron damage. Next, we've got Morophon, which is the universal tribal commander with one thousand fifty-four decks.
1: I actually honestly thought that this would get more yeah. decks than that,
0: <laughs> but still a really impressive number, especially considering it only came out like halfway through the year. Yes. This is six months in. Alila, Artful Provocateur, gives you fairies when you cast artifacts and enchantments, and buffs your creatures with flying. She's coming in with one thousand fifty-one decks, and then Urza. Lord High Artificer, extremely powerful commander, allows you to tap your artifacts, cast spells for free. Next, we've got Angie Falconrath mm-hmm. with 940 decks, who's just this madness combo deck.
1: That one actually surprises me. I, I would have thought that some of the other commanders from those pre-cons would have been a little bit more popular than her, especially from that pre-con, because Chainer and Grevin were both very good. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's just she offered something that probably should have existed before just a discard outlet commander
0: yeah but most people aren't doing like the fun fair oh, no. and yeah, just they're- like i put half my deck into my graveyard <laughs> and then comboing
1: I think something striking about this is just how many of these came out so recently. Mm-hmm. All those brawl commanders, all of them, like Tulane, are here.
0: Tulane's a little lower. Sir Gwyn is a little lower, but we're definitely seeing the boost from being in a pre constructed deck. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it makes the accomplishments of something like Golos, which is released in the latter half of the year. Yeah. Only available in booster products to see it get that much traction over these precon decks where like the deck is pre built. With Golos, you really have to go out of your way and and assemble it yourself. But of these commanders, of these top 10 commanders from 2019, which do you think is the best commander of 2019?
1: I would say Feather. The fact that it opened up in archetype, it's a design that feeds into what the color identity like does and makes it. Viable. I think that's the best, but I don't know if you agree with that.
0: <laughs> no, actually I do. Um Feather is not only distinct from the other Boros commanders, but she's distinct from any other commander. Yeah. The playstyle is very different. It's all about like managing your mana and like not worrying about cards. It's, yeah, it's it, weird
1: card advantage. <laughs> yeah. They took a limited archetype, like Boros attack combat tricks, mm-hmm. and they made it working commander so like keep doing that (laughs) come on
0: (laughs) and it's something that we're going to see new cards for it every year like if you have seen the uh, initial spoilers from theros beyond death yeah one of the limited archetypes is boros heroic Mm -hmm. so of course we're going to see like cheap instants and sorceries that target your own creatures so, like, I would not be surprised if Feather got a few more staples.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I, I'm hoping that they keep doing that and leaning into a theme. Because as much as I do like Yark, like, these very open-ended commanders, I understand that they're popular, but it's it tickles me a little bit when they actually build into a playstyle a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot.
0: Let's uh, want to come up with a name for these awards, the Best of 2019 Awards. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> uh, let's see. How about, how about the commies? The commies? <laughs> the mandy's i'm gonna go with commies for now all right so (laughs) the commie for best commander of 2019 goes to feather the redeemed great job feather good job next we've got the commie for best card of 2019 and this is a non-legendary card finding itself in the the main deck of commander decks We'll state our own opinions. So I I looked through all of the most popular cards, the the cards from 2019 that saw the most adoption in different decks. And there's one that stood head and shoulders above all the others in terms of adoption.
1: The the numbers, like, I would have expected this and they still blew my mind. Like, it's
0: crazy. I'll give you a little bit of context. The second most adopted card printed for the first time in 2019 is Arcane Signet with 11,277 decks. The most adopted card from 2019 is Smothering Tithe with 24,337 decks. Dang. So it's it's far and away the most adopted card from this year. Although, to be fair, like it was printed in January. Arcane Signet was printed in September. So that does account for a little bit of the discrepancy, but it's still an enormous gap. I'm gonna give Mother and tithe my vote for the best card of 2019.
1: No, I I will agree with you because I think w- one of the reasons for its like very high adoption is just the simple fact that it allows white to do more in
0: Commander. So I'm super happy that this card exists. It's great. There are a lot of cards printed this year that did see like a fair amount of adoption. Like Guardian Project sees play in about ten thousand decks. Or, for example, like Generous Gift sees play in almost 8,000 decks. And, and those are like good cards, but they're not unique cards. They're not yeah. the only version of that effect. For every Guardian project, you know, there's a Beast Whisperer, there's a Great Henge, there's other ways to get that card. And there's analogs for Generous Gift as well. Like there's, you know, Cast Out, or if you want to go Sorcery Speed, there's like Oblivion Ring, Banishing Light, lots of ways to answer permanence in white but smothering tithe it's something we were not expecting at all it's something that we didn't even think was in white's color identity yeah and it fills a gap that white decks just did not have anything for prior to this
1: so yeah good job congrats on your commie smothering tithe part of the reason
0: i like this card the majority of it is like white doesn't have ramp this is white ramp great But in addition to that, it does it in a way that can lead to some big stories. There's been games where I played a Smothering Tithe and then the guy next to me played a Reforge the Soul and I got 30 treasures or something like that. (laughs) So it can be big and explosive in addition to just being basically like kind of a Thran Dynamo. Although it, there are a lot of people who are, like, annoyed about the trigger and having to do the, the Rhystic Study thing again, like, are you going to pay for it? Are you going to pay yeah. for tie? Pay for tie? I understand that that can get grading. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but do you have any runner-ups of the cards printed this year that you want to give a shout-out to?
1: I guess it's surprising to me, is why I want to bring it up, is that Rhythm of the Wild was mm. so well-adopted with about 9,000 decks, and I just would not have expected that.
0: Uh, I would not either, like, generally, my thinking is that haste effects aren't worth a card if I can possibly avoid it, especially not yeah. three mana.
1: Yeah, it's a three mana, sometimes haste effect.
0: Yeah, it, like, if I can get an effect on a land, then I'm just so not interested in, like, committing a non-land slot to it. Yeah. Like, Hall of the Bandit Lord exists and is colorless. Also, Cavern of Souls exists and yeah. is colorless. <laughs> it's cool that it takes these, like, two... Things that aren't worth a card individually and puts them onto a single card but it's still not what i'm looking to do
1: and and also kind of in the vein that you're saying like guardian project there's other things that do that rhythm of the wild there are a lot of cards that do both of those things in those colors Mm -hmm. so it's just interesting that this was the standout of these like kind of multicolored cards that became popular because there's a pretty big list of multicolored cards Like this is almost twice as played as Bedevil, which is nuts to me because like Bedevil is a very good removal spell. (laughs) (laughs) So just stuff like
0: that. I I thought that was interesting. I believe that part of the reason that Rhythm of the Wild is so popular is because it does allow for combo enabling. Oh,
1: with the protection or with the counter? So there's Mm -hmm. like
0: persist combo potential, sort of like acting as a grum gully. I think there's other things you can do with it. So that makes more sense. I just want to point out two things really quickly. I thought mm. it was extremely interesting that we got both Prismatic Vista and Fabled Passage oh, yeah. this year within a very short span of time. Yeah. And I really hope that both of these see a lot more reprints in the future. Like Please. Like Prismatic Vista, it sees play in 8,600 decks. Fabled Passage sees play in 3,500, but it's only been out for a couple months. Yeah. I think both of these are extremely constrained by their rarity yes. and by the price tag on them because both of them are are pretty expensive. Like I think it was extremely predictable. Wizards could have looked at Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic Expanse and seen like, oh, these are in more than 50,000 decks on EDHREC. If we print something similar but with a different name, it's going to be a format staple. And what can we do to get these into the hands of players? And there was just like clearly a lack of forethought
1: yeah and that that's really the thing like when prismatic vista was spoiled i can't remember if i or we ranted about it on the show just there's no reason i, I think it, we must have yeah there's no reason that it needed to be rare like it just gets a basic so i really really am hoping that they print both of these cards and the fact that fable passage is one of the only lands that does this in pioneer they're going to have to print this card more like i know that they were trying to not have the fetches in pioneer they banned the fetches And then they printed this. I know, it makes no sense. And then, I don't understand what you want, but you you better supply, Mm because the demand is pretty big right now.
0: Any other trends that
1: seem interesting to you? One kind of small one we talked about in regards to green card draw. There's a ton of green card draw this year. A ton. Like, so, just within the top cards of green. So, Guardian Project was the number one green card this year, but you also get the Great Henge and Return of the Wild Speaker in like most adopted green cards. And that's not even counting like Beast oh Beast Whisper was
0: That was the end of last year. I that mean, was the yeah. fall set.
1: But it's the amount of green draw spells has been going up and up and up and I don't know why I mean I'm not complaining
0: necessarily. They're good. It's sort of pushing green in a combo direction. Yeah I feel like yeah really. Because if you have a critical mass of these, any creature you cast does not cost me a card. And then you really just need to solve for mana at that point. But like green is one of the best colors for mana production.
1: We'll talk about white in a little bit, I guess, just briefly. But like the fact that green, they'll give mana and cards and white, they'll give neither. It's so strange to me.
0: One thing I wanted to point out is as I was pulling cards, I noticed that one color got fewer yes. notable cards than the that, others that act- so white you know you got your smothering tithe generous gift hall of heliod's generosity it, it got some goodies this year yeah not a huge amount but like it got the best one yeah white made out like a bandit and blue got some some new and interesting tools uh narset Partier of veil, vale saw a lot of adoption spark double saw a lot of adoption mystic
1: sanctuary yeah Ooh. yeah
0: yes black got some interesting like combo pieces in in bolus's citadel it also got scheming symmetry. That saw a lot of adoption. Yeah, and then of course green, as we mentioned, green saw a ton of cards. Not just the the card draw effects, but like circuitous route, finale of devastation, wilderness reclamation, evolution sage. All of these saw you know adoption by more than five thousand decks in a very short amount of time. The one color that really seemed to not do well this year was red. There's been a lot of focus on white this year, but red got like dockside extortionist, which was adopted in like. 4400 decks but even the red cards that i was excited about and thought would do well like um, tectonic reformation yeah yeah or yeah. thrill of possibility did not see much adoption it's really only dockside extortionate that, that sort of like cracked into the the threshold uber setting for this year-end review of the new staples
1: which does kind of blow my mind because i do feel like red got so many tools this last year like i've talked about like Glinthorn buccaneer being this thing like the super powerful effect for red and it got Torbrand, brand thrill of possibility like it, it got a lot of cool things this year even just in modern horizons
0: tectonic reformation yeah. uh throws of chaos yeah just
1: like some really cool things and goblin engineer yeah yeah goblin engineer and none of them i, I don't know I, yeah. i've played heavily with a lot of these cards and they're super fun <laughs> none of
0: them cracked like 1500 decks it's crazy yeah it's interesting that, like, white has, of course, gotten a lot of attention, especially with regard to its commanders, but we're seeing that red is still having trouble
1: with its main deck cards.
0: Yeah. Last commie that's going to be awarded for 2019. Woo! What do you think was the best product for Commander in 2019?
1: I think that above and beyond everything, it's just Modern Horizons. I know that there's Commander decks. I know that there's a lot of good things in the standard sets this year. I know that Brawl existed, but Modern Horizons was just, there's so much in it. There's so much.
0: Yeah, and so much of it was weird stuff. It wasn't just like pure power level. It was like filling in niche archetypes, like Changelings give so much support to so many different decks, like Ninjas, just a ton of boost for Yuriko. It gave us a cycle of lands that have the potential to be format staples. They're all very good. It gave us a new cycle of talismans for those who need more mana rocks. And also just like the power level on average is so much higher than pretty much any other set released this year.
1: Yeah, and they're, they're just even like just the kind of staple effects so like echo of eons and like ephemerate and like these these things that people kind of just generally play with mm-hmm. there's all of these things in this set so it gave you so many tools on top of new archetypes and like new commanders like i always forget that the new sisa was in modern horizons because mm-hmm. there's just so much stuff in this set it's crazy
0: That's another thing I want to touch on, too, is like even though there weren't that many legendary creatures, it was only eight. There was an incredibly high hit rate among them, like Morphon over a thousand decks, Urza over a thousand decks, Yawgmoth 900 decks, Sissé 830 decks. So the enormous adoption for these new legendary creatures out of this set.
1: I know it doesn't really push the numbers necessarily, but like uh, Ayula is something that people had asked for for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So like even that, like they just kind of were able to check that box and keep moving, and that's not necessarily the worst thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think that, aside from Smothering Tithe, the best white cards of the year were in this set. Generous yeah. Gift and Hall of Heliod's Generosity are both really powerful tools, and some of the best red cards, as you mentioned earlier, are in this set so not only a way to introduce new and powerful commanders not only a way to explore themes that need a little bit more support but also a way to give tools to the colors that need it most in commander
1: for a few years prior i'd been saying like they should just do time spiral as like a supplemental set so i'm glad that time spiral as a supplemental set was awesome and they should maybe do it again
0: now that we've sort of talked about the best things to happen for commander in the past year let's let's briefly touch on the best things for commander theory we spend a lot of time talking about the data for the commander format in terms of like what cards are seeing adoption what decks are seeing adoption but we also want to turn in words and like use our own play count data to try to figure out what types of episodes are resonating the most with you the audience and how we can provide more of that in the coming year We've got all our episodes from 2019 in front of us in the Play Counts Forum, and we're just going to talk about some of the themes we're noticing. One thing that stands out to me, episodes where we dive deep into one deck, like we did a Child of Alara deck deck earlier in the year that I thought was a really interesting deck and you know there was enough to talk about for an entire episode, but those types of episodes are doing a lot less well than the ones where we talk about a whole bunch of decks and then just hit like the the highlights for many decks and post the deck list for them. And I think that people are responding to that kind of content more. We don't need to go into the nitty gritty. We can just give you the deck list and let you see that part for yourself. But we want to give you a high level overview and then that way hit more content.
1: I feel like it's a little bit more interactive when we can be like, hey, here's some stuff you can look at. Here's the general idea, like explore. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot too for those episodes. And it seems like you guys do also, just looking
0: at these numbers. When we hit on a bunch of different decks, like Budget Commanders in the Monocolor Identities, you can sort of gravitate to what is interesting to you out of the many decks we present. I feel like the title of the episode matters a lot. And I think that's something we're going to try to put a little bit more thought and effort into in the coming year. The um, superlatives help out a bit. Like when we talk about the best budget commanders or the most underplayed cards, those episodes are doing better. So I think that focusing on that type of content, continuing those series in 2020 is going to be a priority for us.
1: My two takeaways from all of this data is like the first one is just like, oh, geez, I didn't realize we did so much. (laughs) Like when we're just kind of in it And making it, you're just kind of there, you're in the moment and you're doing whatever you got to do. And then like stopping and looking back, it's like, oh, oh, wow, we had like a pretty big year.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we uh, cranked out 50 episodes next year. We're probably going to do the same thing, probably Mm -hmm. even more because we recently started doing bonus episodes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we're going to continue on the topic of bonus episodes, though. I'm seeing that our bonus episodes are definitely getting a little bit less attention than our our main episodes. I'm actually totally fine with that. That kind yeah. of was the intent, is that we could release these episodes and cover these topics that, you know, maybe might be a little more narrow or niche or something that not everyone would be interested in, Yeah, but that we wanted to cover and that we wanted to get out there.
1: Yeah, I, I think they serve a good purpose.
0: One thing I want to also point out briefly, it wasn't something that broke our metrics or anything, but it's something that performed better than I thought it would. And that's our episode on judging custom commanders with Charlotte Sable, CAG member. I had this idea in my head that custom designs wouldn't garner that much attention, but it's good to see that there's an audience for this because I find custom designs really interesting and we're going to try to provide a a smattering of that through 2020. We know it's not going to be our bread and butter, but for those of you who are interested in that and want opportunities to participate and submit designs that we can talk about, we're going to give you outlets for that in 2020 as well.
1: And it gave us an excuse to have Charlotte on the show. Yeah, and that was great too. That was very good. Looking forward, I think we're both excited for what this next year is going to be. So I'm pretty happy with where we're at and where we're going to go, hopefully.
0: Yeah, and and please, if there's anything that you would like to see more of in 2020, let us know. We are looking for more ways to give you what you like out of Commander Theory. Mm-hmm.
1: We have a lot of ideas and When we have your feedback on these ideas, we can make it better together. And also, just thank you for listening. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: Which I think gets us to mailbag. So we asked our followers on Twitter, on Tumblr, our patrons. It's kind of everywhere. Yeah. Wherever you can find us. So we've got a ton of questions. This is an extra long mailbag segment. And we are going to start with our Twitter followers. At Feral Turtle asked, what are your personal favorite pet decks to play? I've talked about it a lot, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I really love my Teshar list. It's a very intricate combo deck. It can throw your opponents off because it's very difficult for your opponents to tell how close you are to winning.
1: And also what to get rid of, like just staring at the board and being like, I have a removal spell, but I don't know which thing to (laughs) (laughs) hit.
0: So it, it really makes it challenging for your opponents to play against. And if you don't have a good poker face with this deck, it's totally fine because often I won't know when I'm about to win, so I'm not even hiding anything. (laughs) I'm often just like figuring it out on the fly, so it's a surprise for everyone when I kill the table. What about you? What are your personal favorite
1: pet decks? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to probably mention this deck one more time today, but uh, the Gerard, uh, Golgari Lichlord, I just had him for forever. I love recursion. I love grinding out wins and it's also really funny at this point to just like make the table groan when you like throw a kakusho or a lord of extinction but honestly lately i've been having a blast with this mean and then discard list that i've i think talked about a little bit and i've been blown away by like just the wins i can pull out with this deck where it's like oh no like we're all losing oh no i win <laughs> and just uh, out of nowhere it's like it's hilarious and a lot of the reason for that is cards that have been printed really recently uh, with a lot of these red discard spells so if you had told me like earlier in this year that I would win a ton of games with Firestorm, I would not have believed you. <laughs> but just like doing stupid things like you can seasons past into a huge hand and then just target yourself and a bunch of people and everything on the board. And it it, it just has some really fun, weird wins out of it. it. It's like surprisingly
0: more robust than I thought it was going to be. Next question from one of our Twitter followers. It's at PressF20. What do you do when magic starts to feel stale?
1: To me, like magic is too many things and like there's too many possibilities to get bored with. There's so many decks and deck ideas and possibilities and card combinations that it's really hard for me to actually get bored of magic. It doesn't help that I've been super busy this year. It's really hard for me to get bored with magic because I do have a lot of creative projects like I play music, I help other friends with art and things like that. And these things kind of all balance each other out because once I'm done doing something musicy, I can come to our play group and show off a Sir Conrad list and have fun with that. And then if that gets boring, I'd probably have to play music again, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. So I don't know if that helps you, though.
0: Personally, I like to build new decks. I take apart my old ones. There's like definitely a churn that goes on, especially when new and exciting commanders get introduced. When that doesn't work, I like to try new formats. When Brawl was introduced to Magic Arena, I jumped into that. And even when I got a little tired of that and felt like I understood the Brawl metagame and knew kind of like what the matchups were like, then I tried Friendly Brawl on Arena. And that added like another year's worth of cards into the mix and opened up a ton of new archetypes. And I've had a lot of fun with that. And sometimes I'll also like switch gears from Commander variants and like tinker with my cube. But mostly whenever I get bored with the way things are, I start thinking about what could be. If you've been listening for the whole year, like we've done multiple experiments with how we play commander. We experimented with planeswalkers as commanders, we experimented with wishboards. Sometimes I have asked my play group to let me play with custom designs just cuz I think with the right commander could this archetype be viable? Could yeah. this pile of cards actually be played in commander? For I think both of us like we are just so into the game. It's pretty hard to get burnt out on it. <laughs> Next question comes from at Kamigawa PAC. Do y'all think that using statistics to inform your deck building decisions can lead to unintended homogenization across decks or a decrease in the uniqueness of a particular deck's perceived play style? I think that using statistics to inform your deck building decisions is going to likely pull you towards consistency and it'll probably also pull you towards good stuff. Like if you sit down to build a deck and start saying to yourself, like, I want... This density of counterspells and this density of ramp and this density of card draw, you're going to end up committing the majority of your deck slots to good stuff. But I don't think it's really like a statistical approach that's to blame. It's more that statistics are a tool to reach the goal of building better decks. And that can sometimes be at odd with the goal of having a lot of variety among the cards you play and the gameplay you experience. I think it's your job to sort of decide what you're trying to optimize for. Do you want a varied experience or do you want to win more games? And let that inform how you're, you're building your decks. And I, I don't want to reiterate that like we 100% support more deck diversity and more card diversity in Commander. But we also want to help you all build better decks. And it's really up to wizards to design cards that enable players to build consistent and powerful decks that also offer something different than the other decks in the format. So, for example, like if Wizards prints a card like Stratus Dancer, you know, which has Mega Morph, and when you flip it up, you can counter an instant or sorcery spell. For one and a blue. Yeah, so good. Stratus Dancer can help you meet your quotas for interaction without cutting down on like your morph count for your Kadena deck. So, more cards like this that like align with the rewards of a specific commander, like Stratus Dancer probably isn't good enough to run in the majority of decks in the format, but in Kadena, where it costs three less and you get to draw a card and then it's just like a counter spell and a three two flyer it's specifically good and i think that cards like that promote card diversity i would much rather see cards like this than more assassin's trophies i don't want to see that i want to see the narrow niche effects
1: i totally agree with this point that's why I like a crow war like even though i don't necessarily like it right now i like that it exists because like at some point in time this might just be the perfect confluence of, like, enchantment kills itself, steals something, like, weirdness that fits into a commander perfectly. And I love that stuff. That I'm always, like, I have this long list of cards of, like, I'm looking. One day this
0: will be good. Exactly.
1: Like, a bunch of them in my head and in on my computer and just, like, okay, I'm looking for the commander for you right now.
0: Those cards are so fun, and I think that my enjoyment of the Theros spoiler season is heavily impacted by the fact that Hall of Heliod's Generosity was printed six months ago.
1: Yeah. If you're looking at heuristics, then your deck is going to be homogenized. You're going to run a lot of good stuff. But I think in the ways that we use statistics, and when we're talking about like hypergeometric calculators and things like that, we have a deck building on the Discord, and people will post deck lists and be like, hey, what do you think? And a lot of times the decks are pretty well geared towards what the deck builder wanted to do. And the question isn't so much like, how do I optimize for this thing? It's like, which would be more fun? So like commanders, as we talked about in the recent episode, like less busted builds for commanders, you don't have to build them all the same way. That's one of the reasons the format's super fun. So let's say you have a Borborygmus and Rage deck. It can be kind of landsy, where like you end up bouncing your lands and ramping and stuff like that. Or it could be kind of more graveyardy, where you're like playing like Praetor's Console to like have a really big end game and like win that way. And it's kind of up to you which way you want to like optimize for that list. So a lot of the time, the statistic that you're looking at aren't specifically like how much of this do I need. It's like, well, do I have enough of this to make sure this works or this theme I'm building towards works? when we're talking about statistics like we're looking at how much is the card play does it help and like will it work in this archetype here if if it works how much do you need of this effect
0: i'd say that what we do is more akin to probability i think that's yeah. a better way to describe it is just Making sure that you are consistent, making sure that you are able to do the thing you're trying to do, exactly. and, and that you're able to like fight the variance that's baked into the format and uh, get more performance out of your deck that way.
1: The whole reason we play this format is because that challenge in and of itself is fun. We use statistics and data for our overall like views of the format, but then we're using a lot of these probabilities for deck building, and I think that that is kind of the key distinction there. When me and Nick build decks, that's what we're looking at. Um, Yeah,
0: it's more that like the most important things in the deck, we're trying to make it so that we see those more often.
1: But yeah, that is a very, that's a very interesting question.
0: Moving on to our Tumblr folks. Ashiok Fan Club asks, what are some ways you think Wizards could help out White and Commander without just giving the color straight up draw effects?
1: We've talked about this a few times. So my four are just like scry on everything, Scry on enchantments, instants, creatures. Uh, Charming Prince is great. Like, way better than I thought it was going to be. Just Scry. More Scry. And that's in the color pie right now. Counterspells akin to, like, Mana Leak or Memory Lapse. I think both of us want white overruns. Mm -hmm. So badly, please, Maru. And then small permanent reanimation. So things that could hit lands, that would be great. These are just things that white can already do. Things that aren't just specifically white card draw or specifically white mana production. And I think it would help a lot.
0: Next question comes from Geteron. Would a commander with a trigger to copy enchant player effects when they ETB be enough to help out curses, like a doubling effect? I think the easiest way to sort of stretch your curses would be to, like, create a token copy for each other opponent when a non-token curse is attached to an opponent. That's probably, like, the way you would template it. But even then, I think the limiting factor is just that there aren't enough curses. Currently, there are 29 curses, and they're spread across five colors and they often incentivize different things, and some of them are clearly geared for limited or 20-life formats. Maybe if we had five times as many curses, you could build a curse deck without it being like really inconsistent and in all five colors. But right now, I don't think we have what we need.
1: That is a problem. The fact that it's five
0: colors right now just to be able to hit that critical mass is uh, sad. Being in more colors means that you're competing with good stuff from all five colors, and if your opponent sits down with their five color golos deck and use it down with your five color curses deck the difference in power level is going to be enormous yeah it's huge another way that this could work though is if they print more cards like estrid's invocation or mirror made like enchantment clones then those could supplement the small number of playable curses but even that is sort of dependent on there being enough curses that actually stack with each other So, like, having two overwhelming splendors on your opponent doesn't do anything. This next question comes from Son of Commander Theory. Okay, this is a lot of questions. What are your thoughts on the future of magic? I know it might seem bright, but that's coming off the high of a year of Ravnica and Dominaria. Imagine if I had asked you this question at Rivals of Ixalan. Magic is not too big to fail in things like power creep, too much focus on arena, and increasing corporatization, like secret layers or $400 deluxe products, as well as increasing strides towards open politics in the story, have me concerned, to say the least. I'm curious as to your thoughts. I don't know exactly what is meant by open politics in the story. I'm gonna... I'm
1: not sure either.
0: We're gonna skip past that part.
1: There are some catastrophic ideas that have been going around, and I understand like where people are coming from with some of them. I like see the worrying signs, but I do think it's a bit much. And that being said... Taking the year in the last few years as a whole in regards to how they've been treating paper and digital magic for paper it seems like they're really really pushing like the gathering and magic the gathering we have these like command fests command zones at magic fest we have more commander focused product lines in 2020 than like ever before all these deluxe products i i would argue are kind of geared towards not just collectors but commander players who like famously like blinging out decks and making their decks look pretty I think that Paper Magic in particular, they're pushing towards these more casual commander formats and stuff like that as the primary paper formats. And that's why we're seeing these secret layers. And that's why we're seeing other like variant arts and stuff like that, because I think that's where they kind of realize the money is, which about time. But print more modern horizons and less secret layers, please. And I think the digital push is the area where people are concerned because they've been really pushing specifically like uh, Arena and Standard really hard. So I think that's where people see the concern kind of setting in, like secret layers skipping LGS's arena kind of bypasses LGS's um, and that would be the only place that like I would hope to see some change in 2020. Just local game stores are such an important part of the magic community. Uh, me and Nick are super lucky to be in a very good play group right now, but like if we move, like friends recently have moved. They're going to have to go find new play groups. And where are they are going to go? The, the easiest one is you go to your local play store. You play some games. You see if you can make some friends or whatever. And that's a very important part of Magic. So that's the part that is the scariest. But honestly, like in regards to R&D, I'm optimistic. In regards to selling cards, I, who knows? I still don't know if we're ever going to get the reprint problem solved. That's where I'm at. Generally optimistic, I would say.
0: I'm going to try to address these one by one power creep I think that comes and goes like play design just got a very brutal smackdown from having so much banning in so short a period of time they do have banning as a tool to handle things when the power creeps too high and I trust that after this period they are going to be rejiggering their processes to make it so that fewer things like Oko slip through their net so I trust that they will be able to deal with that because it's been a problem for 25 years the focus on arena i I can't speak to the competitive side of things i'm not a grinder but i will say that like for me arena isn't really replacing playing paper magic with people as a consumer playing magic with my friends over some beers or whatever is still my preferred way to play and arena for me is only when like uh, we can't get the guys together tonight and it's just a way for me to get to enjoy more magic or like test decks that I can then bring to to play with my friends. So I think that there's always going to be a market for paper magic, especially in the social settings. I just yes. don't know if 1v1 is going to make it happen because honestly, like 1v1 tournaments are not the best ways to like hang out with friends. You can all go to a pre-release together, but like you only get a few minutes in between rounds to yeah. share your bad beat stories. Yeah so I think that doing pre-releases through Arena could be a more fun way to do things. Just imagine like, you know, your buddies bring your laptops over and you're all playing your matches and trash talking or look at what I'm about to do to this guy. Check this out. <laughs> I, I think that for 1v1 Arena is a really good tool and I'm okay with it sort of taking over that space of magic, but it's going to be a long time before Arena replaces fun multiplayer commander play.
1: I I don't know if it will anytime soon. This is going to be, I think, in a decade, we'll be addressing this problem, maybe. Mm -hmm. I just think we just need to keep watching. You're totally right. Magic isn't too big to fail. I do think that if, for whatever reason, Hasbro or Wizards goes under, I I actually don't think that would be the end of Magic, per se, Mm -hmm. I think.
0: I mean, it's too valuable an IP. Like, if Hasbro goes bankrupt, they will auction off the Magic IP.
1: Yeah, and someone else will keep making it yeah <laughs> it's free money yeah if, if you can
0: purchase it <laughs> it's got to be one of their best products yeah yeah
1: right behind nerf mm-hmm. it's nerf or nothing or <sighs> something
0: moving on to patron questions yeah james asks how many commanders do you have like ready to play and what's an ideal number without having to resleeve decks i've got 11 decks ready to play and it's really hard to say what an ideal number is because i think it depends a lot on budget what kind of play styles you enjoy Generally, I would say it's a good idea to have a range of decks to match the characteristics of the games you might play in. If the power level in your playgroup ranges from like total jank to CEDH, then you're going to want to have decks along that spectrum so you can like match with what your friends are going to want to do. And it's also a good idea to consider the range of players in your pods. If, if you always do four-person pods, there's no variance there. You know what decks you can bring. But if you'll go as small as three or as many as seven maybe it's a good idea for you to have a range of decks like this one can blow people the hell out in a three-man game but it does not have the gas to win a seven man or vice versa like this is really grindy and can win a seven player game but it's way too slow for the bloodbath of a three-person game next question comes from Raphael. what's your favorite commander deck ever be it still active or dismantled and why
1: yeah, I'm going to jump in because I already said it earlier that I would talk about this again, but it was uh, Jared. It's always going to hold a special place for me. One of my first commander decks was Sapling of Colfinor, and I would just slap a World Slayer on that, on, on her, and just go to town. That was kind of the deck. Eventually, that turned into Jared when he came out. When he was spoiled, I was like, this looks awesome, and I made it, and it's changed over the years, but like it's been the deck I've had together the longest, I think. Animorphs will also kind of, I think hold a special place in my heart because when i started playing and when i was actually like consistently playing as like a kid that was onslaught and morphs and i just loved the gameplay i loved all the stupid creatures and all <laughs> these like things you could do with them and the fact that animar and Animorphs in particular gave me a place to play all these cards that i had a good time with as a kid that holds a really special place for me too and it's good and they keep printing cards that make it better so sure thanks wizards my
0: favorite commander deck ever I think the the decks that teach me the most are my favorites. So, I'd have to go with Iname. Iname was one of my first decks and it really taught me how to grind, how to play out of your graveyard, how not to overcommit to the board, how to make the most out of your cards, how to how to generate cards while spending like none of your own, how to create just value engines mm-hmm. and how to really brutally control your opponent taught me the value of sack outlets did it teach you how to love i think it did actually yeah that that deck ripped yeah (laughs) it was great no i loved iname i would say that one i just learned so so much from it it even taught me the value of graveyard hate because like it was so slow at winning the game that i really had to be able to answer everything and so (laughs) i I realized huh you know if they have their own recursion this attrition isn't doing anything so uh that would probably be my favorite deck of all time
1: so tom has two questions so we're gonna answer try and answer both of them so the first one is what do you think of the suggestion of a rules change where commanders die and hit the graveyard then are put in the command zone imo it's more intuitive and makes commanders like Alenda and roalesque work so much better
0: I think there are some commanders that might become oppressive with that rules change. Like Child of Alara has a death trigger that destroys all non-land permanents. And Yosei has a death trigger that locks down your opponent and prevents them from undapping. I think those two in particular would be very annoying and, and don't need the extra help to farm their death trigger. Oh, yeah. It's also not a very clean rule. I, I assume it would work like a triggered ability that moves them from the graveyard to the command zone, but would that be in addition to the current replacement effect and you could choose for your commander to skip the graveyard? Would it also work that way for other zones? Could the trigger be stifled and like trap someone's commander in the graveyard? It's hard to think of a really clean execution of that rule. Yeah, Alenda, it sucks that she has a dies trigger. Yeah. Same for Rolesk. And we complained about both of these yeah. on this podcast. But I think the problem is not that the rules need to be changed. It's just wizards need to design legendary creatures with leave the battlefield triggers. They did that for Battlebond on several of the commanders it worked great no problems and then they forgot to do it when they were making commanders for war of the spark
1: yeah it doesn't make sense
0: so we just have to be very vocal with wizards if it's a legendary creature do not put the word dies on there and it'll be fine there's no reason to have the rules bend over backwards just for currently like a handful of cards don't use that quote against me when we talk about wishboards
1: So I agree with this, and I find it more of a feature than a bug. I thought it was really fun to look at, like, Kega the Tide Star, which has a death trigger, and figure out how to make that work. I tried this with Rolesk. I tried some of the same technology, like, make cloning your legendary creature, and then the clone dies and stuff like that. And what works very well with Kega does not work super well with Roalesque because the (laughs) triggers don't happen the way you want. It's, It's a big mess. But... I just think that the ease of the rule right now and the fact that it gives you ways to build around this. So like if you do want to make an Alenda list, like you're still in black white, like you still have all of the reanimation. You just have a million ways in those colors to like get it back from your graveyard. So I think like if you want to build one of these commanders right now is figuring out how to get around that restriction. So does it suck? Yes. Like would these commanders be better if they had a leaves of the battlefield trigger? Yes. But I don't think it's worth it to change it having this weird little area to build around is more interesting and we aren't actually getting that much out of changing this rule
0: i think that this is a design problem not a rules problem yeah
1: exactly so now the next question is again from tom what are your thoughts on the concerns regarding wishboards that people could just put narrow but extremely strong color hate options like choke boil karma etc into their wishboards
0: So I think heinous stuff like that can be managed through the same social contract that keeps players from running non-color specific mass land destruction. Like Choke is pretty analogous to Winter Orb and Boil is pretty analogous to Armageddon. So if your playgroup doesn't want you running Armageddon, then I think you could make a pretty good point that they'll keep people from running Boil. However, I do admit that it could cause issues in more competitive metagames where the social contract isn't used to limit deck building.
1: Or or LGSs, where you kind of go and play with whoever is there, yeah. and you kind of don't necessarily care if you hurt their feelings. I don't think it would, in any meaningful way, decrease the quality of games people are having.
0: I think that the color hosers that don't affect mana are probably fine. I, I'm yeah. not actually that afraid of karma.
1: Yeah, karma's not super scary.
0: And... There's stuff like Anarchy, Destroy All, White Permanence. It's it's fine. There's cards that have similar effects, and it's not a huge issue. Last question. This comes from Laser. How many patrons will it take for you to stop reading the full list at the end of each episode? Uh, More than we have now.
1: <laughs> There's a secret message, if you've been paying attention, so that you can listen to the end, see if you can find it every week.
0: Honestly, we should start reading them in a different order and spelling <laughs> out different messages. There's enough vowels in here that we could probably... Hold on, let me just get out my Scrabble dictionary really quick.
1: <laughs> but yeah, if you are listening all the way to the end, thank you. And also, again, we're going to say this in just a moment, but thank you to our patrons for supporting us. And we really honestly this year would not have been what it was if we didn't have your guys' support. It means a lot to us. It makes it just so much easier and so much better. The quality we can put out and the amount we can put out in a year and the equipment we've been able to get to increase the quality. I hope you've noticed an increase in quality. <laughs> That's coming from like the skills we've kind of gained, like doing this and the equipment and all this stuff. So I'm really excited for next year and we want to keep giving you guys good content.
0: (laughs) And with that, I'm going to give a thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Will, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Cooper, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, and Dylan. I think the limiting factor on how many patrons we can call out at the end of each episode is going to be how many I can get out in one breath. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably going to be it. And we are teetering on the edge. Anyway, yes, thanks everyone for supporting the show. And uh, it's because of your support that we're able to keep the lights on here in the studio, kick out bonus episodes, produce more content, better content, keep improving, and experiment with new things. So thank you. And if you're not currently a patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commandertheory. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.